the Freed from the Real podcast is brought to you each week by PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and CapeFearGames.com. You can listen to us each week on PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and MTGCast.com. Hello and welcome to Free from the Real, episode 172. I'm one of your hosts, AJ, with me as ever is Kia. Hey guys. And this is the Free from the Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and things from the offline game which are of interest to us. Uh, one such thing is the recently fully spoiled Plane Chase set, which we've, uh, which we will be getting online, hopefully. Uh, yeah, there was, um, I think it said sometime, it was June, uh, is the set release date, release date for Magic Online? Yep, late June, and bearing in mind we've never had, um, a plane chase, uh, set previously, this should be quite interesting, and it does make you wonder if they'll get the first one on as well. Yeah, I was just about to say that, I'm curious if they'll try to sneak, uh, plane chase one on along with plane chase two. But, uh, yeah, we'll have to see on that. But in the meantime, we do have a total of 21 new actual cards. There are obviously um, new planes and phenomena. Phenomena? Phenomenon? Yeah, whatever the plural is. Uh, anyways, um, but looking at those, we do have just 21 straight-up actual magic cards, which will, which will be legal in Legacy, Classic, and Vintage. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a couple of them now. Really, most of them seem to be suited for uh, multiplayer and for the, that format, uh, or like Hunter Guard Singleton or Commander, which makes sense because that's what the product is. There is one particular card which is printed which has the potential to see play, and that would probably be Shardless Agent. Yeah. Bloodbraid Elf, only a human rogue, 2-2, two, two, and without haste. Yeah. For three mana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he has applications... Um, either most likely being in a, some kind of combo that could be another three mana cascade spell that could sneak you into hypergenesis or living end. Uh, but even theoretically, potentially, you know, he wouldn't be bad in some kind of aggro deck, getting you a free Tarmogoyf or Delver or Lightning Bolt. Two spells for three mana is um pretty good deal. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I mean, most of the time, can't imagine a the average spell that would be one or two costs that you wouldn't mind casting at that at a given point in the game in those threshold-type decks. So he, he has potential. You suddenly made me think of various cards which you wouldn't want to cast um, at uh, two mana or less. Uh, the first one which swung to mind was Final Fortune. Yeah, that would <laughs> that'd be less than fun if you flipped over that. Um, I mean, obviously there's some. I'm just thinking, like, when I was thinking about legacy, blue-green, red, like, rug lists... There's not a lot that comes to mind that you'd be like, oh, I really wanted to hang on to that and not have that cast. If you're running Final Fortune in a Cascade deck, you deserve everything you get. Very true. Very true. Anything of interest to you, AJ? What have seen pop up? Well, I'd quite like the flavor of uh, Silent Blade Oni, the Demon Ninja. Because Demon Ninja. Yeah, that dude doesn't mess around. He's pretty serious looking. Whenever Silent Blade Oni does, there is come over to a player, look at that player's hand, cast a card from it without paying that card. Mana cost 6-5. You know, when I was first Fight. looking at this card, it looks like, um, I wasn't really trying to look at the art, and it looks like he has a lightsaber 
because I was looking at that thing towering in the background, and I thought that's where its hand was. I was like, why did they give a ninja a lightsaber? What in the world is going on? And then I realized that's just some background piece, and he's actually holding a sword of, like, out. I think it seems to be uh, a bit of light coming from the uh, gable of the roof, which seems to have some sort of mystical glowing symbol on it. Mm-hmm. It just immediately, when I first looked at it, I was like, why did they make a demon ninja with a lightsaber? What, what is going on? Why not? Because they can. <laughs> By the way, isn't he... I mean, wouldn't it be tricky to sneak around if you're like this 10-foot-tall, 1,000-pound demon? I'm not sure how you can be sneaky like a ninja. Put it this way. That's how good he is. Very good point, yeah. To be a 6'5", huge demon, and yet he can still sneak through walls. Where the hell did that demon come from? Well, yes. But no, to finish off, like you said, ninja him in for six, look at their hand, and cast a spell for free from it. Always a fun little ability. Um, uh, wasn't it first on a seven-mana trampling uh, three-colored creature from Apocalypse? Yeah, I think so. Um, I can't really name it off the top of my head, but it's really interesting just looking at this. They, they clearly have pushed, uh, just from the new cards alone that we see, they clearly seem to have pushed the mechanics and the flavor of each deck pretty hard. Because just quickly reading through the cards, you can see which cards go in which deck, even regardless of looking at their the colored mana cost um, because of the themes, either token generating in order to sacrifice cards to devour, or with the ninjas, things that directly influence um, that, such as having creatures with evasion like Intimidate, um, giving your other creatures Intimidate, um, the Psy of the Shinobi, which is a pretty sweet card, so as soon as that ninja enters the battlefield, it gets an immediate plus one, plus one. It seems like they did. They went quite the way to push the themes of the set. Psy of the Shinobi is interesting because it's the second um, such equipment to be printed. Uh, the first was from Betrayers of Kamigawa itself, but it was a lot less, um, this is a ninja weapon in its flavor. Well, we had the, uh, the Shuriken before. Yeah, that was... That was uh, designed as very much a, uh, this is a ninja weapon, but uh, the original attached to creature that comes into play was um, subtler, not directly connected to the uh, creature type. Which one was that? I've been trying to think of its name. Because um, I remember those ones from Lorwyn, where if you played the appropriate creature type, like if you played the Berserker, he picked up the Obsidian Battle Axe and went to town on your face. Um, yeah, that was, that's... Um, <laughs> Very fun for warrior tribal because it grants haste. Exactly, yeah. Um, I remember all those, like the cycle where they li- lined up with their appropriate class. But I don't remember the one before that. I'm just trying to... Ah, uh, oh, here we go. It's uh, Ronin War Club. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being named for Ronin, the um, fallen samurai, doesn't exactly look it straight to an ninja straight away. Mm-hmm. That was a three mana plus two plus one uh, with the uh, when it comes to play attach with an equip of five. The uh, one mana plus one plus one with an equip of two is a bit more um, playable. And not to to you know ignore everything else, but the other ninja that has been previewed since then looks pretty sweet. It's Sakashima's student, yeah, which is a ninja clone. <laughs> yes. Um, with a ninjutsu of one and a blue, so um, turn one, something nice and evasive, turn two, nice tamagoyf. That's the only thing. I'm trying to figure out how you can... Because sneaking in on turn two, like you're not really going to have a lot of targets, I guess, is the only problem. 
Um, but I guess like be on the play if you went Delver, they go like if they played turn two Charmagorf, then you could, you know, hit the lottery, flip the Delver, attack, and then Jitsu out, and then have a Charmagorf, and then a Delver to replay later. Or you could. Um... Oh look, was that uh, ritual into Mixhume? I love that. But then they have a big fat dude you have to get past. Oh yeah, if, if you've got like... something nice and evasive turn one. Yeah, that's true. It's potentially possible. It's an interesting card, and it's a card to keep in mind because it's almost strictly better than clone. I mean, other... yeah, it is really better than clone. Pretty well, much. I mean, you know, blue, blue in theory, as opposed to three and a blue. But then again, counteracting yeah. the fact that it's a ninja, yes, it is strictly better. Than because ninjas are better than all other creature types. And it's a human, which has a lot better support than Shapeshifter. That's true. Uh, there was... Uh, the Shapeshare is pretty much the only Shapeshifter um, tribal helper. And that doesn't tend to help a card which uh, clones things. Yeah. <laughs> now, Illusory Angel. I believe we didn't quite get this right when we reported on it last time, in that it's uh, cast Illusory Angel only if you've cast another spell this turn. Yeah, that one's pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's almost like a Sarah Avenger in that sense to where it is a cheap fatty, but obviously it needs a little work um, yep. to go with it. But quite frankly, with Phyrexian mana spells, I don't see that it would be that difficult. You just pay two yep. mana and Gitaxian Probe and then three mana, four, four. Can't really complain. Well, two life rather than two mana. But, uh, yeah. That's, a, that's another one that could potentially some play. It just depends, especially with, you know, Blue being so aggressive these days with Delver and other such cards. Why, yep. why is Blue suddenly the, the color of creatures? <laughs> oh, it always has been since Morphling, at least. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <sighs> oh. Now, Baleful Strix looks like a fun little uh, cheap card. Mm-hmm. Uh, blue and a black for a 1-1 flying death touch um cantrip creature yeah and i mean that's that's absolutely perfect for the ninja deck because why would you ever want to block a 1-1 with death touch assuming you had a flyer to block with that's and then they get the ninja guy out and then they play him again and they get a free card yeah that card yeah that, that would not be a fun card to play against in this uh plain taste format wouldn't be a fun card to play against anyway really yeah in a lot of formats it's true but uh knowing you're like ah do i block it or do i let him get his Demon Ninja and steal a card from me and then draw a card when he replays it. Ah. That's the sort of thing you really want your opponent to go through. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, right. I, I had actually not seen the art for that card. That thing is creepy looking. Well, it's... um, I do, I do quite like the uh, Strix trilogy from um, uh, Shards of Alara. Um, this Parasitic Strix and... Uh, what was the other one? Tide Hollow Strix. Yes. I was, like, I was like, I remember the one that saw lots of play in a combo deck, but I don't remember. All of them, uh, very nasty birds. Absolutely. Not sure what the uh, plural would be. Streaches? Yeah, stri- stripes? Strixes? Strixi? I do quite like how they expanded on the flavor of um, various things, but remained true to their original settings, if you will. Yeah, I mean, they've they've definitely gotten much stronger about weaving in and working creative and flavor um, into sets. Like, I feel like in the last few years, they've gotten better about being more faithful to their storylines and fleshing those out. Um, 
more appropriately and just just doing better storytelling like in general i feel like they've they've grown quite a bit uh, since then and I, and I know one of the changes they made was to always have a creative team member as part of de- design and de- development either uh, have a person on one of those teams if not both of those teams, depending on a person yeah. um, just to make sure that that there's a representative there to make sure that that's spoken for mm-hmm. I mean even fractured power stone is um a nice tie back to the original Thran storyline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And which and with the great thing about Plane Chase is this is a product where you can touch on pretty much all of the history of magic since the you know over the course of a Plane Chase uh, match you could go to all manner of places on the multiverse. But things like uh, totem armor um, uh, using uh, Indrik, which is I believe from Ravnica? Yeah, Ravnica. Uh, the Indrik Stompowler, which was um, more known for getting rid of enchantments than um, being them, but uh, hey, it's a 4-4 enchantment which gives you first strike, must be blocked and totem armor. Yeah, they've definitely been pushing things in a way which uh, Standard probably wouldn't be able to hold. Um, yeah, just looking, I mean, you look through these cards and you're like, well, some of these are very cool, but obviously could never see Franks um, in a Standard yeah. legal set. Which I think is one of the cool things about um, these products. And the quirky stuff as well, like Elderwood Scion, which uh, reuses the um, uh, spells you cast to target this thing uh, from uh, Spellwild Oof, except it makes your opponents more expensive to cast at it. So, hey, I'm going to put um, Eldrazi Conscription on this thing for uh, only one mana more than it, and... um, you're going to have to spend uh, more money, more mana than you set aside to terminate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it obviously works very well within the, the set, because if you have the Scion, then you can play four mana Indric Umbra. So now you're going to say Smash 4, 8 with First Strike, Trample, Lifelink, and Lure. Yeah, that's going to hurt. Ouch. That's going to hurt <laughs> quite a lot, and it's going to happen a fair bit. Yeah. But would you want um, Trample, Lifelink, must be blocked... Um, uh, eight eight, or would you want um, ten ten flying vigilant? Um, first strike must be blocked, and when this attacks, exile something. Exile, dude. Oh yeah, I mean, two turn clocks are nice. Not gonna lie, <laughs> uh, especially when they can get rid of things that will be in your way or could potentially stop your victory. It looks like they've done a pretty interesting job. Uh, should be fun. I'm not sure if I will check it out. It'll depend on the the price point and. What, what the interest is. I don't know if maybe they do some kind of release events for playing Chase, if they have some sort of special tournaments or something like that. That'd be yep. interesting. What about you, AJ? You think you're going to try out playing Chase? I'm definitely going to pick up some of the cards from it. Um, and we'll see what where the pro, where the planes themselves end up. But um, there's so many different things you can do with it offline. I'm wondering how they're going to translate that to uh, online stuff. For example, the uh, communal plane pile uh, games, you, um, combining it with things like Arch Enemy and Commander. If we can get that versatility online, either straight off or in the near future, then sky's the limit, really. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't imagine it'll be straight off. I think that would be something that we have to wait for. I think there'll be a set uniform way to play Plane Chase, at least in the beginning, if I had to guess. Yeah, or a few set plane ways to do it. Um, they might have, say, um, everyone has a communal pile, or um, 
Now, the really fun one would be a sort of um, same mechanism as the um, as Momir Basic, random plane check. Ah, that'd be pretty cool, yeah. Choice of uh, all the planes ever printed and random phenomena. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that definitely sounds like an interesting possibility, and that's another question. I don't know, uh, and that'll depend on how they do it. But when you get the plane chase decks online, will you get the phenomenon and the planes somewhere in your collection? Will they be your own tab, or would they be part of the the plane chase tab? I guess. It'd probably be a separate tab. I mean, um, that's what I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah, they're essentially avatars, if you will. Or um, uh, perhaps the closest approximation would be uh, Time Spiral and the Time Star bonus set. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. That's a fair point. All right. All right. Well, Plane Chase 2012, end of June, coming to you. Yep. Now, one thing for the offline world, which thankfully isn't um, going to come online, is the Cavern of Souls controversy. Would you care to outline the details of the um, debate for our uh, dental listeners? Yes. Okay, so for those uh, that don't play in the real world, basically what they have found is that Cavern of Souls is a unique card in that it can just naturally create ambiguity, and that's a problem. Because uh, Cavern of Souls has two activated abilities, obviously you can tap it for a colorless mana, or you can tap it for one mana of any color, and if you to play uh, a creature of the type you choose, then it can't be countered. Well, the problem is if you are not clear when tapping it, um, they had an issue of what happens. So, for example, if I just tap uh, four, I tap four lands that include a mountain, a forest, a cavern of souls, and something else, and I play Huntmaster of the Fells, and I don't say anything, there's immediate ambiguity of did I tap it for colorless mana or did I tap it for a red and a green and make my Huntmaster of the Fells uncounterable. The initial ruling um, that was made was that if you did not declare what you were tapping Cavern of Souls for and you had the mana available to cast the spell, like in my example, then that spell would have been cast using colorless mana and would be counterable. Um, Obviously, the Pro Tool rolled around and there were some issues there. People would play fast or they'd blow through it or you're playing um, an interlinguistic match and you both don't have a common language, and there were issues there of, oh, I didn't, did you use your cavern or souls for colorless mana? What did you do? People were like, no, I just, I used it for colored mana, but you didn't indicate, so then suddenly spells were counterable, which you didn't think they were. Um, so basically this has created a lot of negative response to it. People felt like it was intuitive that you were casting it for the colored mana. That's why the card was created. So they actually came in and reversed the ruling. So now the current ruling stands that if you... Uh, the presumption is that if you're casting a creature of the chosen type, that you are using the second ability, and the spell cannot be countered. Which certainly removes the ambiguity. Absolutely. You do have the option of expressly stating that you are using the colored mana, but if you do, don't say anything or you don't indicate anything, then it's assumed that you use the colored mana and the card is uncounterable. Yeah. It's a straight-up advantage. It's the most sensible option, if you will, mm-hmm. so should be considered the default. Yeah, it's just weird because they've never really had a situation where there are no other costs associated with these two abilities, and so you have to clearly indicate. I mean, I'm sure there have been some in the past, but none so prominent on the tournament scene um, as Cavern of Souls. 
Yeah. Um, and you've had people arguing each for each side of the argument that it should be this way, it should be that way. Realistically, there should not be a default, and you should always have to declare, in my opinion, um, what you do. But I understand that in a real-life match, like, especially, you know, time's running short, you know, people take shortcuts, people forget, so you might just tap in and just do something, and you have to have a rule in place for that situation. Because we're humans, and people will forget to do it, um, even the most technically sharp of magic players. It's a good card to have it's a good card to have in general in the um format as a whole. Yeah, I'm glad to have the card and I think it's I think it's great. And again, quite frankly, you know, if you only play online, this isn't an issue because the program forces you to make a clear decision. Yep. And it'll I haven't tried playing with it yet, um waiting for it to go down a bit first. Um does it indicate if the uh, spell is uncountable or not? I don't. I don't know. Like, does it actually like pop up on the card, like with like the keyword "uncounterable"? That I don't know. I haven't seen it in action. Um, I would assume it's kind of like snow mana and other restrictive mana that when you tap the Cavern of Souls for colored mana, it would be indicated with like a yellow colored symbol. But I don't know if like while it's on the stack, it show it says uncounterable. I would hope so. Uh, I would hope it indicates somehow. Like even if it says it in the text on the side, like so and so has played Huntmaster of the Spells. Uh, with Cavern of Soul can't be countered. Something like that. Because that would be frustrating in the same way it is in real life if someone taps and plays Caver- uh, Huntmaster and I play Dissipate and then my Dissipate just goes to the graveyard. If he's got um, a uh, Cavern of Souls, the appropriate preacher type, then at least you can have that presumption now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Fun little controversy, but again, you know, score one for Pants Free Magic. Yep. Talking about scoring for Pants Free Magic, um, what can people score? Well, uh, starting after this downtime, they can start working towards winning some June Magic Online Player Rewards cards, uh, which we now have available to us. The first tier of lands is going to continue to be the Time Spiral lands that have been available. At Tier 3 and Tier 4, we have Core Skyfisher. Which um, is certainly playable in uh, uh, back in the day with... Um, I believe they had quite a few. Uh, what was the um, uh, equipment uh, enchantment from Zendikar, which um, this comboed with uh, Memnite, among other things, with? I don't remember. I, I do remember this being a good card. It's <laughs> certainly yep. playable. I just can't remember what exa- like what directly benefited it. But like even just returning land sometimes, like when you were to return uh, Tectonic, not Tectonic, uh, Teetering Peaks was a great one. Yeah, uh, you return that and then fire it off and attack before next turn. But yes, there are some decks which could drop a turn to Argentum armor and equip it, thanks to a combination of uh, Course Skyfisher, the quest, quest which the holy uh, relic, quest for holy relic, uh, and a whole load of Memnites. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, I remember that when you just ramp up the counters and Core Skyfisher could, even if you didn't have other creatures, you could just slowly use it to bounce itself. <laughs> But yeah, it's an interesting card. My only beef is I don't like it when they do promos where the only thing about it is the promotional symbol. Like, cause this is, it's got the same art. It was already a current templated card. Originally given out as a convention promo in 2010. At tier 5 and 6, we have Zoetic Cavern uh, promotional card. does have new art. Um, it's a pretty neat card. Pretty nice art as well. It's... Um... Sort of cave stalagmites crossed with the ribcage of a creature. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty interesting. Um, I actually love this card. 
I remember um, I actually snuck into the top eight of a PTQ during Time Spiral Block Constructed, and one of the matches I won, it was actually kind of lucky. I had I was playing like Mono Red, and I had Zoetic Cavern. I had it morphed, and my opponent played Temporal Isolation on it, so it now had Shadow and it didn't deal damage. And I got my opponent down to two, and so then what I did is in the next turn I attacked with Zoetic Cavern, put damage on the stack, you know, the old rule, and then morphed it face up, which caused the Temporal Isolation to fall off, which meant he took two damage and died. That's pretty awesome. It was pretty sick. <laughs> now, my best stories with Zoetic Cavern is it's a completely colorless card, which is legal in Kaleidoscope, which means all the uh, traditional things which uh, people need to look out for in Kaleidoscope, like um, Error or Pure, which um, are Counterspell and Vindicate, respectively, because everything's multicolored, have no effect on it. Yeah. <laughs> It's also mana acceleration in a format with very little of it. I made, I made great use of it back when I was writing about Kaleidoscope um, and uh, have very fond memories because of that. And I quite like the new art as well. Yeah, that art is pretty sweet. Tiers 7 and 8 give us a full art version of Liniana Spectre, which is one of the least impressive Spectres unless you play multiplayer. Yeah. Is this, uh, is this even in Type 2 right now? Like, is that card still in... The core set? I don't think it is. No, because Lily isn't. Good point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Yeah, I like I like this card, and I'm always a fan of ex- extended art, full art cards. I wish they would do it for more uh, commonly, routinely playable cards. But it's pretty it's pretty sweet looking art, and it'd be cool if it came back for Magic 2013. That'd be a good timing. Yeah, it would have been nice to have been used in the. Um... Plane Chase Ninja deck. Oh yeah, that'd have been <laughs> that would be a good card to have in there because uh, it's multiplayer. It has, comes in playability, works perfect with ninjas. It has, yeah, you're right. That'd been perfect. It could be. Is it in there? Like, do we have the full deck lists? They printed the deck lists on Monday. Yes. Ah, and I guess it did not make it. It didn't. Sad. I will. Yeah. And then the topping out tier 9, 10, 11 promo card is Honor the Pure, given out as a buy a box promo in 2009 uh, with brand new arts. Pretty, I don't know. I'm not a fan of the more, I'm like, I'm going to say like cartoonish looking art. Like it just, I prefer more, I lean more towards realism, I guess, personally. Yeah, the art looks a bit washed out to uh, to my eyes. It looks a bit, you try, you get the impression that they're, they're trying to get the impression of uh, bright glow, but it doesn't really come out as that. It's more, it's, it doesn't help much. Yeah, I don't know. There's just something, something kind of about it. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, hey, you know, if you if you like promos, it's it's there. Yep. So I mean, a decent a decent lot of promos, like uh, you know, maybe honor the pure. I felt could have been something lower than the top tier. Especially for a card that's been reprinted so many times and so available. I don't think it's super valuable or sought after. But it does see play from time to time. So that's good. So there you have it. A common, two uncommons, and a very and a fairly common rare. Yeah. But still not, you know, Windseeker Centaur. That's true. <laughs> always the always the upside. Yeah. Right. That's pretty much all the news we have, so let's move on to prices. Mm-hmm. Now, 
we're looking at the various bits of um, uh, I think we're getting round about the um, uh, point uh, of our uh, earlier predictions aren't we yeah um, I think we have another week I guess because it would be toward at the end of the the release uh, time Mm-hmm. Although I think it goes on for another week or so. I don't know. We'll have to look into that. But uh, yeah, we'll get the dates on that, and we'll be able to compare and contrast. Uh, in yeah. the meantime, though, we do have the prices, and we've seen a, a switch. Tamiyo is no longer the big dog money card in the format. After yep. Losing about a third of its value. <laughs> uh, the current top dog is no less than Bonfire of the Damned, which is a pity, because I'd really like to get a set of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great card. Um I, I can attest that it works really, really, really well in Limited, because I got smashed by it in a draft yesterday, so... Not that you didn't know that, because it's a card, great card and constructed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good, and it definitely earns its its price tag. Mm-hmm. I've always been a big fan of um, uh, Flame Wave and uh, variants thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, just reaching uh, 7 mana in... Um, uh, when was it originally reprinted? When was that? But just being, 8th edition? Yeah, just being able to, in 8th edition, tap out for you take 4, they take 4, good game. Yeah, yeah I can remember times when I've had, uh, like when you just like, cause, you know, you just hurry up, you like F6 through uh, your opponent's turn, and you'll just be sitting there like you hit F6, and I'm kind of just like pseudo paying attention, and I kind of just look and like you see your opponent's mana tap, and then immediately, like, the spell just goes on the stack and goes away, and you're like, where'd all my guys go? Like, what happened? Wait, what happened? And then you look in their graveyard, and you see Flame Wave, and you're like, oh, I lose. Okay, got it. Even uh, Unmiracled, it's still um, uh, five mana, two to everything, uh, two to you, or even three mana, um, one to everything, one to you, which, while it's not great, is um, useful. Yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's it's kind of like what we said in the beginning. Like, miracles that have functionality if they're in your opening hand and you just cast them at some point in the game are going to be the miracles that are good. Um, and Bonfire the Damned for two um, is doable and is decent. It's pretty good. Um, Bonfire for three is pretty good, too, and it's somewhat doable. And then, obviously, if you just rip it off the top and hit the miracle, your opponent's in for some hurt. Yeah, and you're in happy town. Exactly. Tap everything, make them hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's the new uh, top dog at twenty-one fifty, uh, while Tamio slides just underneath at nineteen seventy-five. Yep. And treat the angels is plummeting a bit, um, seeming to have come off uh, second best in the uh, uh, finisher mythic miracle. Yeah. It's currently sitting pretty at twelve point nine eight. Um, and so, another, yeah, another good card and fits the criteria. I think the, in a, looking at it, it seems like those modular miracles are probably the most successful um, because you do have the ability to cast them at multiple points in the game when they're as non-miracles and be somewhat effective or be good. And then obviously when you rip them, uh, especially late in the game, they just they're bananas. Um, rounding out the uh... Miraculous Contingent. Uh, Temporal Mastery is just under 10 tickets at the moment, 9.29. Terminus has plummeted way down to 2.27. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the victim of rarity there. Yep. 
um, worth picking up at some point, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. And I would say the same for Temporal Mastery, because right now it's only known quantity that I'm aware of. Uh, obviously, I don't know everything, but is is the standard Miracle deck. But I get the feeling like if a Legacy deck finds a way to make use of it, or a, a Classic or a Vintage deck, or even a Modern deck, then it's a price that can immediately rebound right back up. Yeah. If you've got um, 40 tickets sitting around, there are worse investments. Now, looking at the uh, legends who are still uh, cropping up over the threshold, you've got uh, Gizzlebrand down at 6.8 at the moment. Mm-hmm. He, he is too... a card I would get, because um, I feel like Pay 7 Life, Draw 7 is a really, really powerful soul ability, and I feel like something is going to come up with that card. Yep. Although, um, one of the little tricks for um, uh, solving um, uh, Yorgmoth's Bargain Stroke Necropotence type abilities is to make them essentially too much all or nothing. Um, Promise of Power, the uh, uh, draw five cards, lose five life is a good example of that. Um, Because you get five cards, you uh, lose five life. But it's enough life lost that um, even that many cards is not necessarily going to be um, able to uh, keep you um, on the up and up. That's, that's true, and I will grant you that. And that, that I remember that card being hyped um, on its release, and then it didn't translate into anything. But it also it didn't say draw five cards, lose five life, put a five five life link into play. Well, yeah, <laughs> but it did say put a uh, demon into play with flying. Uh, with um, power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand. That was always fun. Yeah, when you could end one it, yeah. Um, but, so yeah, I mean, there's... You're, you're right, they, and I think that's a good job of fixing it, so I don't think it's uber broken because it's not like pay one life, draw one card. <laughs> yeah. uh, like previous mistakes. But I think he has certainly has potential. Yeah. He's very much a... Um, a card from which the finesse has been shaved off, but... Uh, Still very powerful for an 8-mana flyer, but you'd expect an 8-mana lifelink flyer to be powerful. Absolutely. Now, amongst the Angels, uh, Sigurda, host of Herons, is the current frontrunner, um, just hovering under the 5-ticket um, uh, point, 4.9, with um, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight, uh, just behind at 3.9 at the Four ticket mark, and their yeah. eternal champion uh, in charge is leading up the rear at three point five seven. Is the um, fourth beetle um, anywhere approaching the uh, other tr- other quintet, or are we looking at Ringo Star here? Yeah, it's pretty much uh, Richard Starkey there. It's uh, about like a little over a ticket. So there you have it. Um, the uh, is it? I believe it's a six mana. Blue White Angel who plays nicely with auras plays yeah, when, nicely with auras. Yeah, when your superpower has to do with uh, enchant creatures, you tend to kind of fall off the map. <laughs> yeah, until somebody says, "Hey, there's already inscription free." Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Right. Um, but other than that, the mythics kind of there's a little bit of shift uh, for those of that team play. Tybalt is down, uh, coming to 4.24, and then the rares we're just seeing some general depression across the board as they're flooding the system as release events go on and they they are plummeting um, most of which have already 
dropped below a dollar, but there's a couple of Vexing Devil, Zealous Conscripts, Wolfer, Silverheart, um, Silverblade Paladin, who are holding at a couple of tickets. Uh, Vexing Devil is um, has dropped down to merely slightly bothersome. Yes. Uh, but I mean, you got to watch out for him. Standard was never going to be his cup of tea, but modern and larger formats, we'll, we'll see if he can actually pull off what the people feared. I have plans. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Mm-hmm. All right. That'll lead us to our question of the week, and that kind of goes back to our discussion of uh, uh, Cavern of Souls. And in your opinion, if a player did cast uh, a creature with a Cavern of Souls, and they forget to specify, if they don't clarify which ability, what do you think should happen? Like, let's say there is no DCI, and you're the judge, and the Huntmaster situation comes up, Mountain, Forest, Cavern of Souls, Random Other Land, and they just tap four and put it into play. Should it be? Should they be forced to use the first ability? Should they be forced to use the second ability? How do you My inclination is uh, to have it as um, uncountable. Mm-hmm. Um, they tapped a land which um, is which already naming the land is a big thing. It essentially says uh, when I tap this uh, land to pay to uh, pay for an X, that X is uncounterable, mm-hmm. which is a reasonable default to have, and it takes memory issues out of the game. Mm-hmm. If you see that land be tapped for that creature. It's uncounterable. Full stop. Which seems a more straightforward and sensible way of going about it. Yeah, and I, t- I tend to agree. Um, I think it's fair to say that they, if they use that land, even if they have the other colored mana appropriate, that their their intent was probably to make it uncounterable. Um, I would obviously prefer that they clarify, but again, you know, even professional players, like if you get to the point where you're 12 rounds into a tournament, you've been playing for 14 hours, it's late in the day, and you're closing in on time in the round, things happen. Things get missed. You you know, you, you take shortcuts. So this, and generally, like, 99.9% of the time, if you are using that land, you uh, you want the spell to be uncountable. It would be a very weird situation where you're bluffing with your opponent to try and get them to counter that so then you can play another spell. Like, that situation is so obscure... Uh, that doesn't seem appropriate. Um, just like, for example, I don't think it, you know, it'd be like saying it'd be fair that if, say if I tapped, if I had, uh, like, two Carplusion Forests in play and four other lands, and I tapped six and played a Worm Coil Engine, are you going to try and argue that I added red and green mana and that I should take two damage? Like, I don't, I've never seen anyone do that before. And obviously that's slightly different because I would mark it. But I'm not going to call a judge and say, well, he didn't specify, so I think he should take two damage because clearly he wanted colored mana. To cast his worm coil engine. Yep. You know. Um, again, the um, default is that which is most beneficial for the player. Yeah, I do agree. I do feel like though that at higher level events, that it, you should get the benefit of that. You should get the uncounterable, but you should also get a warning um, of some fashion, like because that is sloppy play. Um, because the card is it naturally ambiguous that you need to clarify. Uh, so you should get some kind of slap on the wrist. At, at higher level premier events. Well, the ambiguity is in the card and not necessarily in the player. I know, but I mean, I don't want to open the door. You know, I mean, obviously, like I said, they've, they've, it's come up and it's a well-publicized ruling issue. But I feel like if you are playing at the pro tour, it is your responsibility to be unambiguous and clear and precise in your play as much as possible. 
arguably tapping a land which is set to the uh, creature type of the caster cast mm-hmm. is in and of itself a fairly unambiguous statement. This is of the type which I have said to be uncounterable. This is uncounterable. Yeah, and like I said, and I generally agree with you, but I mean, if if we are in that weird situation where there is a reason to try and get them to counter it, then you know I could see that. And and if, and I'm fine if they don't. That's just my personal opinion is that there should be some kind of slap down because you know you you want your professional events and you know serious competitive players to be as precise as possible. The only way I think um, making a creature counterable would be more advantageous would be say if you're playing against an affinity deck he has uh, Arcbound Ravager in play and you you have a Cavern of Souls set to Giant and you cast a um, uh, oh, what is it the um, Desolation Giant mm-hmm. which is um, modern legal due to reprinting in uh, uh, times bar or bonus, and have uh, one and a blue up to remand it after your opponent sacrifices everything. Yeah, essentially. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, that's just, I mean, obviously, like I said, that's an extreme corner case uh, where yeah. you would tap the Cavern of Souls and want to still have it be countered. But I think, you know, I don't know. That's just my, like I said, just my opinion. They're probably not going to do it. And I and I feel that it's appropriate that you, like I said, you get the uncounterable um, when you're not clear. But yeah, if you have a different opinion, or if you agree, you know, with me or AJ, or if you think that people should be punished and they it just needs to be uncountable and go back to the old ruling, you know, uh, let us know. Of course, the other way to do it would be to um, have it so the other ability is spend this mana only to cast um, spells that, or activate abilities that uh, don't have that creature type. Yeah, that, I think that's just clumsy templating-wise. Very. Okay, well, AJ, uh, what you been playing? I'm continuing on my um, trek to play um, tribes which, A, have never been played before in the weekend tribal event, and B, uh, tribes which uh, have the fewest number of members. And that intersection is getting smaller and smaller as um, time goes by. So I went with goat this week. (laughs) Are there... Are there any actual, other than Mountain Goat? Like, I know there are things that make goat tokens, but are there other goats? There are no less than four goats, um, plus a Zodiac Goat, which um, isn't online, but is on the promo tab, annoyingly. <laughs> um, two each from uh, Urza's Destiny and from uh, Onslaught Block. Uh, the Wild Coloss, which is essentially Goblin Charioteer with a different creature type. That's a 2-2 two, two, uh, for 3 with haste. Uh, Coloss Yearling, which is a 1-1 one, one for 3 with Mountain Walk and Fire Breathing, which I comboed fairly nicely with Magus of the Moon. Nice. Oh, hey, you're, play- yeah, you're playing a land with uh, non-basic land, as is the uh, norm for this event. Have um, an evasive 3-3 three, three dragon to the face. That's awesome. <laughs> the other two are, um, uh, what's the name of it? One moment whilst I check my notes. Uh, the Craghorns from uh, Onslaught Block. Uh, Crested Craghorn, which is a 3-1 uh, with uh, First Strike for four or morph. And um, Battering Craghorn, which is a 
uh, five mana, four one, with haste and provoke. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember those now uh, from Lemonin. Yeah. Now, the fun thing with that was uh, playing with Rise of the um, Hobgoblins, which is an enchantment which gives you a few creature tokens useful for filling out the board, and which gives you an activated ability somewhere below all the token generation text and uh, not quite readable if you're not paying attention to the card. Uh, all uh, red creatures and white creatures you control have first strike activated. Nice. So how'd you uh, end up doing with your goats? Um, it was a four-round event. I played three rounds and then dropped out to uh, watch Eurovision with uh, two losses and a win under my belt, having lost out to somebody playing Weirds, which is a more endangered tribe. <laughs> Weirds so, are definitely more endangered than goats. Weird are one of the two tribes which really annoy me, the other being Noggle, because wizards will not do a tribe-legal uh, blue-red unique tribe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Did uh, just, I gotta ask? Did anyone play Goat Napper against you? No. <laughs> Why would anyone ever play Goat Napper? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I know, I know, shapeshifters are prevalent in the format, uh, the changelings. So that is true. If people are playing endangered, then uh, there's usually a Taurian Mauler or a um, Chameleon Colossus, either of which are fun to uh, take control of for a bit. But really? that'd been that'd have been funny. <laughs> But extremely unlikely. Yes. <laughs> I play Goat Napper. Fine. I run over you with Merfolk. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. Okay. Um, well, as for myself, I've just been playing um, Avacyn Restored release events. Uh, some sealed. Now I'm switching over to do more drafts. It's an interesting format. Um, pretty, seems pretty aggressive. Um, I haven't played a whole lot of them, but just overall, even sealed... Um, uh, as opposed to draft, there's a lot of aggressive creatures in the format. A lot of two ones, three ones, two twos. Very fast, very aggressive, and not a lot of removal. So. Uh, open any bombs? Um, I got a temporal mastery in one of my seals. That was pretty sweet. Um, and I even got to miracle at once, which was even sweeter. Did the extra turn give you anything? Uh, yeah, let me smash someone in the face. Um, and also an interesting one thing that happened is in one of the games, I almost conceded a game, which would have been the match. Uh, with an on-the-board kill that I just did not see. Did you see the kill in time? I did. I like. I was literally like hovering over concede game, and I was just looking over the board and trying to figure out what I could do. And I was like, I was like, I waited and I reread my creatures because I was dead to like flying creatures next turn. And then I looked and I realized I reread my cards because this was like this was my first sealed event. It's always good to read all your cards. And I reread Champion of Lambholt. And I noticed it was not worded the way I thought it was, because it doesn't say Champion of Lambholt can't be blocked by creatures with power less than its power. It says creatures you control can't be blocked with creatures with power less than Champion of Lambholt. So my entire team was unblockable, as opposed to just the champion like I thought. So swing and win. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I can just attack with everything. So then I attacked with everything and my opponent died. Luckily, I caught it in time. <laughs> but, cool story, bro. Yeah. Important lesson. Read your cards, kids. Alright, well, that should do it for this week. Until next time. Later, guys.